to bust out with my sweater, my nice sweater. I only get to wear this like once a year, but people always comment on it, so it's, it's a good sweater. So I'm, I'm hoping you're able to bust out with your good winter clothes. I'm so thankful. We know it'll be 80 degrees next week, I'm sure, uh, but let's enjoy the cold weather while it's here to stay, right? Uh, so this morning, I want to start out with just a little bit of a story. I don't know if anyone's sort of a, a history buff in this room, but I'm not too much of a history buff, but I, I sort of read about this uh, historical thing that I want to share with you this this morning. So in 1849, there was, uh, as the U.S. was ramping up for the American Civil War, uh, there was an Austrian immigrant who took his family from Europe and he sailed to New York, right? And he was a lithographer by trade. So lithography sounds like something that's an Instagram filter, right? But it's not that. It's something different. Lithography was actually a way that you take uh, etchings on stone and you would transfer them onto paper and canvas and stuff like that. Basically a copy machine before there were copy machines, right? So he was a lithographer, but he moved to America and he became, uh, he started a cigar business. He sold cigars in New York City, but eventually he moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, and he joined, uh, he worked as a bookkeeper for a safe company, people who built vaults and safes and stuff like that. He got so good at the business that he actually opened up his own safe company with his sons, and it was called the Mosler Safe Company. Has anyone ever heard this name before? Maybe some of the, the older people might know it's not around anymore, but they started the Mosler Safe Company. And over time, the safe company grew. So throughout the 1800s and 1900s, you could not walk into a bank, postal office, a government facility without seeing it boasting a Mosler safe. Their safes were incredible. They were built to perfection. They were flawless in design. You couldn't break into them. They were almost perfect. And they built these cases. They used to build cases for historical documents, very important things that people wanted to preserve. And they built these cases to last a thousand years. And the company dissolved somewhere around 2001, and they interviewed some of the employees of the company, and they said that these cases that they made were so well made that they would take the spare parts and they made time capsules out of them, and they buried them all around the company grounds. That's how well done their products were. So naturally, the government started contracting with Mosler to protect their valuables. And in fact, the original vault and the original transport system for the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights was housed in a Mosler-made product. And of course, Fort Knox, you would guess it, with all the billions of gold there, was protected by Mosler safes and vaults. They were a very well-known company. One of their safes that they built, I thought this was interesting, for a government laboratory, weighed 138 tons by itself. I, tra- I like transferred that to pounds. That's 276,000 pounds. Flawless in design, no electronics. And then in the 1950s, they did something that no other safe company, no other vault company was able to do. They were the only ones who have been able to do that, as far as I know, up until this day. And I'm going to share that toward the end of the sermon, so you guys have to pay attention, all right? So I bring this company up because for 127 years, Mosler brand of vaults became synonymous with security. If you wanted something protected, if you had a valuable in your house, or if you were a government in the U.S. or maybe another part of the world, you used a Mosler safe. They were synonymous with security. A Mosler vault is an image of security. Earlier, I read a passage of scripture out of Colossians 3. And when I first read this passage, I looked at it and I thought, man, this is really hard to follow, right? 
If you remember back, if you look back at your passage, there are a lot of things in this passage that you have to do. If you had to follow every individual command of this passage, you would end up having 20 separate commands. It says you must be compassionate and kind. You must be humble. You must be patient. You must forgive. You must be thankful. You must teach and and admonish with wisdom. You must do everything to the glory of God. There are 20 separate commands in this Colossians passage. But as I studied the passage a little bit more, I realized that this passage is an image. This passage is a picture of a certain type of person and a certain type of people. This passage is an image of people who are firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. So just as Mosler is this image of security, this passage is an image of people who are firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I've entitled this message, Security Produces Maturity. Security produces maturity. Many times in the Christian life, I believe that our selfishness and our immaturity is rooted in some insecurity that we have in the gospel. So maybe we have greed or we struggle with wanting to get more and more money. That's rooted in not believing the gospel promise that God is going to take care of us and he's going to be with us. Or maybe we struggle with bitterness and forgiving people. That's just a misappropriation of the gospel. We don't trust that God is going to take care of us and that ultimately he's going to make all things right. Insecurity produces immaturity. It kind of reminds me of... um, my niece, uh, she's about four years old or so, and I, she's got this room full of toys, right? She's got all these toys in her room. And she'll be playing with one little toy, and then her little brother will come into the room. He'll crawl in, and he'll grab one toy out of the back of the closet, right? And he drags that toy out and begins playing with it. And all of a sudden, that becomes the most interesting toy in the room to her, right? That's how it happens. It's out of this insecurity. She's got a room full of toys, and she's got this one little toy that she's going to focus in on. Immaturity breeds, or insecurity breeds immaturity. Last week, Pastor John called us in the passage before to lay down the old things like sexual immorality and impurity and greed and unforgiveness and all that stuff. And this week is an image of the new life. This week is an image of your life in its most perfect form. It's an image of us as a church in its most pure form, a church that's fully following Jesus. That's what this passage is, and that's where I want to take us this morning. So I hope that you aspire to this passage. I hope that you aspire to having a security in your life that produces this kind of person that we see in this passage. So let's look back at uh, verse 12. And we'll read it one more time. It says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You see, as a pastor, I'm charged with the task of presenting you mature in Christ. My job is to help you grow in your spiritual walk. So I want to ask you a question. If you were up here and you were in my shoes, how would you motivate people to follow Jesus more closely? Like imagine, imagine, I hand the mic to you right now and you come up on stage. How would you motivate people to follow Jesus, right? Because that's my job. My job is to take your life and my life and to take this passage and to entwine them together. So would you use fear Maybe you would use fear. Would you use threats? Would you use chocolate, candy? I don't know. Whatever you would use. I think that we have a better motivation in this passage. So this morning, my thesis, the thing that I really want to spell out this morning is let your security drive out your immaturity. 
Let your security in Jesus drive out your immaturity in your everyday walk. Sometimes when we read a passage like this, this is how we read it. We say, put on then, you terrible, lousy, no good sinners, right? Compassionate hearts or else. When we read a passage like this and we look at our life and we're like, man, my life doesn't really conform to this passage. What we're really reading into it is you terrible, lousy, no good sinners, you better do this or else. That's not what Paul does. Look in verse 12. Paul uses three phrases to motivate you to to live a life that reflects this passage. Can you see them? Can you see the three words? First, he says, you are God's chosen ones. He says, you are God's chosen words. The Greek word is ekletos. And it's this idea that someone has selected you. Someone has picked you out for a purpose. You are the ekletoi of God. Yahweh has chosen you. Yahweh has selected you. Ephesians 1.4 says he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless before him. God, the Father, infinite, holy, wise, chose you for a purpose. And a lot of times when we talk about election and stuff like that, it's kind of a mystery of the Bible. And a lot of people debate about what this exactly means. And a lot of times that's what the word does. It leads us to debating with one another. But this morning I want the word to lead us into holiness and into righteousness. We are chosen. Whatever chosen means, at the bare minimum, it means that God has chosen you to reflect him in this world. So I want us to practice saying that. I want us to say together, I am chosen. I am chosen. I'll say a little bit more gusto. I am chosen. God has chosen us for a purpose. And if security drives out immaturity, then I think taking a moment to reflect on that truth should cause us to pause, right? That I'm chosen by God, not by any worth that I have, not by any value I have or anything I've done, but by the mere fact that God has chosen us for a purpose, to reflect him in the world. Security drives out immaturity. And if you're chosen, you're you're chosen. You're part of the family of God. You have security in the gospel. Point number two, not only are you chosen, but it says something else in verse 12. It says that you are beloved. You are loved by God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. You get it and you have it. It, it, It's done. It says before the foundation of the world. And Jesus, it said, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross, right? That was before any of us were born or did anything good or bad, right? The Bible says that we are loved by God. Timothy Keller, a well-known preacher that we reference often said this. He says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. You are loved by God. And the word that's used in the Greek has this idea that something has happened in the past and the consequences of that still reverberate in the present. So Jesus Christ died on the cross before any of us were born in this room. Even the oldest among us, Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And that love is reverberating into the present. God's love always is in the present tense for you and for me. It's not a past love, not necessarily a future love. It's a present love. So not only are you chosen, you are loved. So let's practice saying that. I am loved. A little bit more gusto. I am loved. You are chosen and you are loved by God. 
how much more security do we need in the gospel and what should our lives look like in reflection to that? Paul uses one more motivation for us this morning in reflecting this passage in our lives. He says you are holy. You're chosen, you're selected, and you're loved for a new purpose. So God has chosen you out of the world to reflect him in the world. That's why he chose you. God picked us out as representatives of the new humanity. So what God is doing, he's saying, I'm gathering for a people to myself, for myself, to reflect this idea. First, that the old way of sexual immorality and purity and debauchery and all the different things that John talked about last week, that we are to reflect that that way is done. It's outdated. It's the old way. It's dying. And you as a Christian follower of God and us as a church are here to reflect in the world that the new way of love, forgiveness, and peace, and joy, and and long-suffering, and bearing with one another, that that way is here to stay. That's the new way of God and it's going to be here till eternity. This is what we are called to be in this life. God calls your life and this church and me, myself, to be a sign to the world of the new way of love. So I want us to practice saying that, I am holy. That was gusto, but we'll do a little bit more. I am holy. So I am chosen. I am loved. And I am holy. The Bible says that Jesus Christ has made us these things. That we didn't earn them, but that we get them. That God has called us those things because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So this morning, no matter what you've done as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are holy, you are chosen, and you are loved. Therefore, White Oak, should our lives not reflect this new position in Christ? This is what Paul is trying to argue with us this morning. Three practical applications. Look back with me at verse 13. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So my first application for you this morning is forgive as much as you're forgiven. Forgive others as much as you are forgiven. Forgive yourself as much as you are forgiven, right? I'm not asking you to forgive others more than God has forgiven you. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I'm going to ask you to forgive him as much as he's forgiven you, right? And the Bible says that he's forgiven us so much that our sins are as far as the east is from the west from us, right? So this is how much we should forgive others. I want us to do an experiment. I want you to take your fist right here, and I want you to squeeze it. And I don't want to squeeze it as hard as you can. I don't want you to let it go until I tell you to, all right? So we'll see who can last the longest. Just keep squeezing it. I think everyone in this room has, has suffered a little bit by someone else. To be human is to suffer at the hands of other humans, right? So maybe it was your friend. Maybe it's your uh, co-worker. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's someone in church. Maybe it's your, your pastor or even someone has hurt you in some way. And what Jesus is doing, what Paul is saying in this passage is that we have the freedom to forgive others. A lot of times when we hold on to bitterness and hurt in our lives, it begins to fester like a cancer. You guys still holding on to it? Don't let go, all right? You still hold on to it? All right. It begins to fester like a cancer. And the longer we hold on to something, the longer it hurts. Imagine holding on to a pain that someone has brought into your life, maybe over the course of a day or a week or a month. And for some of us, we hold on to it for years. And this messes with our mind. It puts us into a state of bitterness. It leads us away from gospel wonder. And so Jesus frees us from that. 
can let go. You see, God has forgiven us and he has freed us to forgive others. Doesn't mean they didn't hurt us. Doesn't mean that we maybe need to avoid that person for a little bit as we sort of work things out ourselves. It doesn't mean that we forget the past, but it means that we don't stay there. Christians are different than people in the world because we forgive others. The Bible says that God gives us new mercies every day, a clean slate. And in the same way, we should give others each and every day a clean slate in the gospel. So maybe for you this morning, as, you, as I call you to radical forgiveness of other people, maybe for you there is someone. Maybe there's someone that's hurt you or you hurt them or you're, you're beefing with each other. Maybe for you this morning, the call of God on your life to, to, to receive his blessing of grace is to find that person and to ask for their forgiveness or vice versa. Is there someone you need to forgive today? Look back with me at verses 14 and 15. It says, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So application number two is love as much as you're loved. Right? That's what Paul is saying. He says, you are loved, so you should love other people as much as you're loved. The first one, forgive as much as you're forgiven. Love as much as you're loved. That's why he says, above all, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Last year I gave a sermon uh, around Christmas time, actually, where I talked about love versus tolerance. Does anyone remember this one? Nobody? That's okay. You can go back and listen to the podcast, right? So I talked about love versus tolerance. In our culture, we really celebrate tolerance, right? We celebrate tolerance. We say, hey, you do you over there. I'll do me over here. And we'll just, we will avoid each other, right? As long as you don't get in my way, we'll be good. That's the narrative of our culture. But in that sermon and today, I'm going to say that love is better than tolerance, You see, tolerance stays away. It's just talk. It never actually helps, but love draws near to people. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know what love is, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So what John is telling us is that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we should lay down our lives for other people. And a lot of times we kind of cop out a little bit, and we say, man, I'd be, I'd be willing to die for one of you guys. Right? I'd take a bullet for one of y'all. I would do that. But I think what John is saying is that not only are we called to die for one another, we are called to live for one another. That the radical love of Jesus Christ that Paul is calling us to in this passage is to reorient our lives around each other. So that means that I make decisions, uh, not just based off of my own life, but off the lives of people in this room. That I commit to the people in this room. That I have your good in mind. That I pray for you. That if you're in need, you can come to me and I I will help you. Not, Not even that, but I'll look for needs out there. I'll run to them in the name of Jesus Christ. Especially around this holiday season, as we gear up for the fall and for Thanksgiving and for Christmas, there are so many needs out there. I think need is probably the most abundant resource there is in the world. And God has called us to meet those needs in the love of Jesus Christ. So as much as God loves this church, love this church. And as much as God loves your family, love your family. And as much as God loves the world, love the world. This is what he's calling us into this morning. I believe that love is born when the last condition dies. That God calls us into unconditional love of other people. 
No matter if they look different than us, no matter if they act different than us, no matter if they talk different than us, the Bible calls us to radical love this morning. Not more than God loves you, but just as much as God loves you, and we can never match that. Last application, verse 16. Look at it with me here. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So application number three is use your words for Christ because you have the word of Christ. Use your words for Christ because you have the word of Christ. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that the spirit of Christ lives inside of you. So no matter where you go, the word of Christ goes with you. So if I go to work, the spirit of Christ is with me. If I go to school, the spirit of Christ is with me. If I go home, the spirit of Christ is with me. No matter where I go, even to the farthest reaches of China, the word of Christ is in our hearts. So in the same way, the Bible calls us to speak words for Christ and of kindness to each other. I want to give a quick example here. I uh, have a a note that was written to us um, while we were over in China. I think it was the first day of our China trip. And uh, she didn't know I was going to share this, so hopefully it's okay. But it's the first day of our China trip. And I think people are a little bit nervous about what's going on. We're tired from the trip. The plane ride was about 15 hours and then another four hours after that, plus a seven-hour layover in an airport. So we were very, very tired. And we're there that morning. And I get this note under our door that was written to us, Caleb and I, by Monica Pena, who went on the trip. And this is what it said. She said, good morning, friends. Today's verse is 2 Samuel 7.22. How great you are, O sovereign Lord. There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. And then she goes on and she wrote this. Guys, how true this is. I'm so thankful to be here with you all and to have the opportunity to serve our glorious Lord. We get to be the actual hands and feet serving him while we're here. What a great blessing. Love you guys. Let's love the people here the way God has first loved us. (laughs) Is that not a beautiful note to wake up to? I'm going to keep this note. It's going to encourage me for years to come. But this is exactly an example of what I'm talking about. Do you use your words for good to bring life or to bring evil? The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And the closer someone is to us, the more powerful our words are over them. So I encourage you to speak words of life. Use your words for Christ because you have the word of Christ. So application number one was to forgive as much as you were forgiven. Application number two is to love as much as you are loved. Application number three is to use your words for Christ because you have the word of Christ. And this morning, as we draw to a close, I want to finish my story that I started this morning about the Mosler Safe Company. And uh, we may not have history buffs in here, but I thought this was a pretty cool thing that this company had achieved. So apparently, on June 4th, 1957, at 6.29 a.m., Um, They did this test. There was a group of scientists with the Atomic Energy Commission, and they detonated a 37-kiloton atom bomb in the Nevada desert. It's about 65 miles outside of Las Vegas. So they did a a test, right? So they had a 37-kiloton atom bomb. So they dropped the bomb, it went off, and there was this guy who was a part of the team, and he was eagerly awaiting to go out there and to actually see the test site. Nobody else was jumping to go see it. It was only this guy, right? So this guy goes out there, and he found exactly what he was looking for. And I think I have a picture of it up here. 
after the dust settled, this was an employee of the Mosler Company, this vault that was built by the Mosler Company had a nuclear bomb dropped on it, and it survived, and at the time, the door was still on it, and the contents were perfectly safe inside. They had built a safe that lasted through a nuclear bomb. And in the same way, White Oak, this is the type of security you have in Jesus Christ. This is the point of the gospel. That no matter what happens in your life, that you have the security of Jesus Christ. In the last verse of our passage, Paul says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What Paul is saying is that no matter where you're at in life, whether you're in a good season of life, a bad season of life, or whatever your season of life is, that you can glorify God because you have the security of Jesus in it. That Jesus doesn't just stick with you when you're in church. He doesn't stick with you when you're just like following him really well, but that instead he sticks with you no matter where you are at. This morning, if you get nothing else, I want you to get the security that comes with faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 10, 21, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Colossians 3, 3 says, For you died and your life is hidden in Christ with God. Philippians 1, 6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. See, Jesus' security is life-proof. It's the point of the gospel, that when you have it, you have it. You're eternally secure in Christ. You are chosen, you're holy, you're loved when you're young. You're chosen, you're holy, you're loved when you're old. You're chosen, you're holy, you're loved in a good season. You're chosen, you're holy, you're loved when you're sin. You're chosen, you're holy, and you're loved when things are going well. No matter what's happening, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are loved. So what if my call for you as one of your pastors is not strive for perfection. You're not going to get there. It's strive to reflect this passage in your life because of everything that Jesus Christ has done for us. If you're not a believer this morning, if you're not a follower of God, I encourage you to consider becoming one. If you want that security in Jesus Christ, it only comes by faith through grace. So I'm going to pray for us at this time. That's my challenge for you this week. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone who's hard to love that you need to love? The words of kindness that you can speak to other people, especially in this church, I call you to do that as your pastor. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for these people. Most of all, Lord, I thank you for your gospel that took a sinner like me, broken and out of control, in total rebellion against you, Lord, and just making a mess of my life. And how I heard that simple message of Jesus Christ on the cross and that invitation to new life with him. And I I received it by simple faith. So I pray, Lord, if there's someone in this room who hasn't taken that step in their journey with you, Lord, I pray that they might do that. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the security we have in you. That we are chosen by you, not because of anything we've done, 
that we are loved by you, not because of anything that we've done, and that we have a purpose. We, we are holy. We are made holy by the cross so that we can reflect you in this world. So I pray that we might obey that this morning, Lord, and I pray that we might obey that this week, especially in regard to each other. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray.